down here. Are we on? There we go. Good. If you listen to the readings, for some of you that were aware that this Wednesday was Ash Wednesday and you listen to the collect, you might have thought those readings don't sound like kind of Lenten readings. And they're not. Because I'm beginning a new sermon series, uh, actually a continuation for those of you that were here in the fall on John's Gospel. But we're beginning with the upper room and continuing through the last eight chapters through John's Gospel. And this is such a powerful section of Scripture. Because you have chapters 13 through 17, Jesus with the apostles in the upper room at the Last Supper and beyond. And then you have his passion, the cross, and the resurrection. A powerful series of readings that really are the culmination of Jesus' life and ministry and the moment of salvation. And it's amazing how John, in his writing takes in that upper room a few hours out of three years of walking with Jesus. And he takes nearly a quarter of his gospel. And he dedicates it to just those few hours in the upper room. Because for John, this was such an intimate and meaningful and powerful time in Jesus' life and his ministry and his teaching. It was a time, and if you look at the whole of Scripture, the most extensive teaching of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing the recall that he has, unless you realize, if you look at, for example, John 16, when Jesus says the Holy Spirit will remind you what I've said. Because this was so fixed in John's mind. And the Holy Spirit helped him to recall what it was that was said and what was done. And it's interesting because in particular, when he washes the feet of the apostles, that is nowhere found in the other three Gospels. The synoptics had already been written probably 25 or 30 years before. And John was probably thinking to himself, This was so important to who Jesus was and is, to what Jesus taught by his life, by his words, that this has got to be shared. So he begins by talking about what Jesus did at dinner time, not like the other synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke but completely different as he focuses on, for example, washing feet. And he begins, interestingly enough, with the thoughts of Jesus, which apparently at some point he shared with all of his apostles, or at least with John. Because the words read, Jesus knew. And I think that's wonderful. Jesus knew. What did he know? First, he knew that his hour had come. And this is not just a normal one hour, by the way. 
You know, when we speak of time, sometimes we make references in a variety of ways. For example, we say the time has come. And the time might mean that particular moment, but it also might mean the unfolding of the next few hours or the next few days. So when Jesus says the hour has come or the time has come, he's talking about this critical time when he will go to the passion and the cross and then the resurrection. And actually, sometimes English leaves us wanting where the Greek can be so much richer. For example, like the word love. So many different nuances in Greek where we just have the one word love. The same is true of the word time. In Greek, there's two words for time. One is chronos, which is like chronological time, which so many of us pay a lot of attention to chronological time. We have schedules we've got to keep. We're busy people. We often think of ourselves that way. You paid attention to time in that you're here on time today. There are other people that will show up at 5 to 11, didn't pay as much attention to chronological time. We'll all stare at them when they come. No, just kidding. Don't do that. But chronological time is important for our lives because we keep a schedule. And it's the marching on of time. But then there's another word that's used, kairos. You've heard that term used of a cursio for prison ministry. Kairos time, significant time, meaningful time. It's time that penetrates the heart and the mind because it has such significance for your life. So when Jesus says, my hour has come, which he's been telling them, my hour has not yet come. My hour is coming. The hour is coming. He's telling them all along. And now he tells them it arrives. What else does he tell them that he knew? He knew his father's love. You know, there are some people that speculate sometimes that Jesus really wasn't sure what his life was about or how his life was unfolding or what his life was heading toward at this point. And these are people who really don't understand who Jesus is, and yet they speculate Jesus knew. There was no question in his mind who he was and is, that he is the Son of God. He is God. He came to be the Savior. He came to be the Lord. And he was confident of the Father's love and that the Father's love had him. He could completely trust the Father. He was confident. He said, I only do what I see my father do. Only do what I hear my father tell me to do. There was no question in his mind what his life was to be about and what he was to do. What else was he confident about? Because of the father's love, his love for his apostles, for those that were his he loved those who were his own, and he loved them to the end. Now, when most of us hear that, what do we think about when we hear he loved them to the end? 
to the end of his life. He's about to die, right? That's what most people think about. That's not the full impact of the word to the end. The word there that's used in the Greek is teleos. The word teleos means purpose or completion. And so when it says that he loved them to the end, to the end of the purpose he had for his life and for their lives, the completion that is happening now and will happen in the future for salvation, that he's about to win and they will share eternal life together. He loved them to the end for all eternity. For this moment that he came. That's what that word means. So John is setting this scene up, which is about to unfold with Jesus washing the feet. That he is about to fulfill the word that was said about him in the first chapter. That this is the word incarnate, God incarnate, who came John 1.29, to be the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us. John's gospel makes it clear that when Jesus dies on the cross, it is the same moment the Passover lambs are being sacrificed and prepared for the Passover meal. So that when John the Baptist points to Jesus in John 1.29 and says, the Passover the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. Jesus is now bringing that to completion. And so what does Jesus do? Instead of being preoccupied with, my, with himself, like many of us would be, if we knew a really difficult moment was coming, instead of going off by himself, You know, when we're under stress, don't bother me. I can't do this. I can't. No. What does Jesus do? He takes off his robe, puts on a towel, takes a basin in his hand, fills it with water and washes their feet. He chooses to serve. Not only does he choose to serve, he takes the lowest servant position. Why? Because of that love for the Father. Because of that love for His apostles. He's not there to guard any position or prestige or power. He's not insecure. You know, it's like the first reading from 1 Samuel about David. You know, what's really interesting is earlier, just a few verses before, David, described as one after God's own heart, anointed to be king. One who would kill the giant Goliath. And what are we told about David? Well, he's put in the king's service to be an armor bearer and play the guitar, a liar. It's not exactly what probably most would have in mind if you're anointed king. 
when you're not concerned about yourself or your position or your prestige. And you're more concerned about the love of the Father and the love of others. You can serve. This is not something that would be common to the Pharisees and Sadducees. They wouldn't even think about something like this, let alone a regular person in that culture. And most servants wouldn't think about this because of sweaty and dirty feet. The worst job. And yet Jesus doesn't hesitate. He takes up the towel in the basin. Peter recognizes how out of character this seems for that culture. So what does Peter do? He does his normal. Speak first, think later. You're not going to do this, Lord. No, this is, this is not happening. Not me. This is too uncomfortable. This is too weird. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. He's not simply talking about the physical washing. It's the reason Jesus came ultimately to serve. To love. To lay down his life. That's the washing. Because he talks about if someone bathes, they don't really need to be washed. See, this washing is the washing of the Passover lamb. It's that covering of the blood so that we are cleansed, so that we become free, free from the power of sin. The Passover is then replaced by the two great sacraments, both of which refer to the washing. Baptism. The washing over us that symbolizes the forgiveness of sin and everlasting life that Jesus won on the cross for us. And then communion, where we remember the Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us. That we are transformed by being filled with him as we take in the bread and the wine. The blood. The two great sacraments speak of this washing so that we might have a part of him. And it's not just the physical experience. It is the spiritual experience. That we experience this transformation. It's that Jesus was willing to humble himself. To empty himself. To become this one who would wash feet. The one who would be our Passover lamb.
And that we need to empty ourselves to receive. Philippians 2 talks about how Jesus humbled himself, emptied himself. You know, the word for humility, the root word for that is hummus or humus. It's the word that in the Greek means dirt. And what's lower than dirt? Dirt is what we walk on. And there's a wonderful saying that I, that I love. I heard years ago that the stalk of wheat that bears the most fruit is the one that's bowed the lowest. See, when we begin to think that it's because of us, because of our earning, because of our doing, that we're worthy, we're missing the point. We must be washed by Him. We must be emptied of ourselves. You know the phrase, He's full of Himself or She's full of Herself? We must empty ourselves of ourselves. We must be washed by Him and transformed by His love and by His grace. He did it all. You know, one of the best and most powerful statements that I heard as a teenager when I was searching when I was struggling, was by the aunt of a woman that I was dating at the time. And she said to me, Greg, what can you add to the cross of Christ for your salvation? Because I kept thinking I was such a good and wonderful person. And I had to come to the realization much like Peter heard the word, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Because it's the gift of Jesus Christ and his death, symbolized by baptism, symbolized in Holy Communion, that we're washed. And then Jesus goes on to say something very, very powerful. That many people in our culture, and even some in the church really don't realize the full impact of what Jesus says here. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. See, there's lots of people that want Jesus as a teacher. Even in the world. Even agnostics and atheists, they like the idea of Jesus being a nice guy and a good teacher. Of morals and values. And there are even people in the church that think of Jesus as a teacher. He's a model. But that's not all he said. You call me teacher and Lord and you are right. In other words, he's the Lord. He's God. 
He came to be our Savior, yes, but he also came to be our Lord, which means we're not. Which is also part of emptying ourselves. That we are not the Lord of our lives. He is. If we fully understand what he's saying. Jesus did not just come to teach and to model. He came so that we might empty ourselves and that we might be filled with him, that we might be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might be servants like him and practice sacrificial love. There's a lot of people who, number one, want to be the Lord of their own life. And number two, are really happy when other people serve them. But they really don't want to serve. They really don't understand sacrificial love. They really don't understand the giving of the whole of themselves. Because that's what Jesus is talking about. And if you feel you need to hold on to position or power or prestige, you miss it. Our model's Jesus, who gave himself in washing feet and in going to a cross so that we might follow him. You know, this night has come to be known as Monday Thursday. And I know some of you have heard this before, but the word Monday is based on the word mandate. The mandate that most people think about when they think about Monday Thursday is what has come down to us from the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew 26 Mark 14, Luke 22, all record the Last Supper where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Talking about us celebrating communion. And remembering that John wrote 25 or 30 years later, and if you look in Acts of the Apostles and Romans and 1 Corinthians, it had become the practice of the church that when they come together on the first day of the week to celebrate communion, he did not need to remind them of that mandate. It was already a part of the church by the time John wrote his gospel. But what sometimes gets lost and sometimes gets lost today is the other mandate, which is love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. Not like you think love should look like. Not with a love that's easy and convenient and self-serving. But a love that's sacrificial. A love that costs. A love that gives. A love that has no pretense. 
Because you can't do it without Jesus Christ. Because you can't love unless it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit born in your heart, in your mind, in your life. Which means you need to empty yourself. And be filled with His Spirit. It's the only way that we can love as He loves. So we need to, like Peter, see Jesus before us. And not refuse. You know, the amazing thing about Jesus on that night is He even washed Judas' feet. Because Judas doesn't leave until after that. Judas, who would betray him, he loved him. Peter, who would deny him, he loved him. All the apostles who would desert them, desert him, he loved them. Sacrificial love that washes feet. And gives up your life. Lent is about emptying yourself. A lot of people want to do these different disciplines. But don't forget the most essential discipline. It comes by coming to the cross and recognizing the kind of love that Jesus gave and gives that the only way we can understand is by saying wash me Lord and emptying ourselves and being filled and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit let's pray Peter would write his letter years later. He would write in chapter 5 of his first letter, Clothe yourselves with humility. And probably remembered when Jesus took up the towel and washed his feet. Lord God, I pray this day that we would understand the need to be empty. The need to be washed. The true gift of Jesus, not only as teacher, but as Lord, who went to the cross to win us that washing that we need, and transformed who sends the Holy Spirit that we might love as he loves sacrificially serve as he serves and give as he gave the whole of his life Lord help us to be so confident of this gift so confident of the Father's love 
so trusting and so filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that we would learn to live as Jesus lived. And we pray this in his precious name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.